It sprang up quickly because the soil was shallow. But when the sun came up, the plants were scorched and they withered because they had no root. Other seed fell among the thorns, which grew up and choked the plants. Still other seed fell on good soil where it produced a crop 160 or 30 times what was sown. Whoever has ears, let them hear. The disciples came to him and asked, why do you speak to the people in parables? He replied, because the knowledge of the secrets of the kingdom of heaven has been given to you, but not to them. Whoever has, whoever has will be given more and they will have an abundance. Whoever does not have, even what they have will be taken from them. This is why I speak to them in parables. Though seeing, they do not see. Though hearing, they do not understand. In them is fulfilled the prophecy of Isaiah. You will be ever hearing, but never understanding. You will be ever seeing, but never perceiving. For this people's heart has become calloused. They hardly hear with their ears, and they have closed their eyes. Otherwise, they might see with their eyes, hear with their ears, understand with their hearts, and turn, and I would heal them. But blessed are your eyes because they see, and your, heart, your ears because they hear. For truly, I tell you, many prophets and righteous people long to see what you see, but did not see it, and to hear what you hear, but did not hear it. Listen then to what the parable of the sower means. When anyone hears this message about the kingdom and does not understand it, the evil, one becomes, the evil one comes and snatches away what was sown in their heart. This is the seed sown along the path. The seed falling on rocky ground refers to someone who hears the word at once, receives it with joy. But since they have no root, they last only a short time. When trouble or per persecution comes because of the word, they quickly fall away. The seed falling among the thorns refers to someone who hears the word, but the worries of this life and the deceitfulness of wealth choke the word, making it unfruitful. But the seed falling on good soil refers to someone who hears the word and understands it. This is the one who produces a crop yielding 160 or 30 times what was sown. The kingdom of heaven is like the, is, the kingdom of heaven is like treasure hidden in a field. When a man found it, he hid it again, and then in his joy went and sold all that he had and bought that field. Again, the kingdom of heaven is like a merchant looking for fine pearls. When he found one of great value, he went away and sold everything he had bought and he had and bought it. Thank you, Liz. Um, uh, I, um, I wonder if you can remember the first time that you were sort of blown away by the beauty of something. Um, and, uh, and if you're married, of course, I know the, um, you know, I know what you have to say, right? So, okay, you, you saw your spouse for the first time. Um, so move, move past that one, potentially. Um, for me, I'll never forget, um, and I'm cheating a little bit because it was, it was with Anne, um, and I think I've shared this before, when um, we were in London and we went to see the Rembrandt show um, at, uh, at the Tate. Yes, thank you. Um, and I had never before, I was relatively young, I'd never before been blown away by the beauty of a painting before. Um, and, and just something about Rembrandt, so it seems like art history has something right about him. There's something captivating. Um, I, I'm not educated enough to explain necessarily about art, what, what is so captivating about it, but it, it captivated me. 
Uh, and it, it blew me away, and, and I left there sort of a little bit in awe of that. Um, so I wonder uh, if, if you have something similar, maybe it's not art, um, may, there's something in your life, uh, perhaps it's music, perhaps um, it is uh, nature. Um, I learned about somebody here that, that it's cars, there's something they find exquisite and captivating about the way that the car works and, and working on it and, and keeping it. Um, there's something that, that we all have. I wonder if you could just hold something in your mind. You know that, that it could be uh, athletics. It could be just seeing a particular athlete play the game the way that they do. Um, we're seeing a little bit of that if you're watching the NBA playoffs. Uh, something captivates you, and, um, and it holds your attention. And, and, and here's the thing about it. If you go to see the Mona Lisa, or if you go to see something beautiful or listen to something beautiful, and, and you don't appreciate it, you actually don't diminish the value of that thing. Uh, that thing actually kind of sits in judgment upon you, right? Um, the Mona Lisa, if I pass by and I'm like, meh, the Mona Lisa is not any less beautiful um, because I didn't appreciate it. Uh, it stands as something beautiful and exquisite. Um, beauty has this thing, this way of working in that way that it, it sort of is like um, it, it, it doesn't, it presents something to us that we can either take or leave, and it's our loss if we leave it, right? It's our loss. Uh, and I'm not saying something about, hey, you have to be an art historian to appreciate beauty. As I said, there's many different ways to appreciate beauty. Um, uh, what am I, why am I bringing this up? I'm getting at the most difficult part of the passage that, that Liz read, which is Jesus saying, it seems like he's saying, um, I don't want some people to understand. Uh, and this is where like, letting scripture interpret scripture is really helpful. Uh, we know that that's not what Jesus is trying to say. Uh, he wants all people to be saved. But what Jesus is presenting, who he is, he is presenting the, the most exquisitely beautiful, captivating truth, namely himself, that the world will ever, ever know. And for those who don't want to receive it, for those who shrug it off or leave it, Jesus, in that way, he's not diminished in value. He stands in judgment against your lack of ability to appreciate how wonderful and amazing he is. That's what he's saying in that, in that middle part of that passage. It's helpful if you have, if you have your Bible to have, have it all out there for you, chapter 13. Uh, what Jesus is doing, in a sense, is he's the smelling salts of, of humanity, right? The way that... He sort of is supposed to whip your head back and say, there is something wonderful and beautiful and true in this world, and it is him. Uh, and if you ignore the selling, smelling salts and just sort of stumble about, that, that's actually upon you. And, and what he's offering, the smelling salts, the beauty that he's offering to us is, is a kingdom of power, a kingdom that, that he invites us into to receive um, and, and, and to enter into our own lives so that we might be transformed, so that we might become new creations. And that's what this parable is about. So in a sense, you can think about the parable is sort of like the, the painting on the canvas, right? It's the paint that Rembrandt uses to, um, to help us see something beautiful. That's what Jesus is doing in the parables. They require something of you to get it. That's kind of what I'm getting at, right? You, you, you cannot just flick Rembrandt up on the phone and flick it back and, and appreciate it. Something's required of you. And that's what Jesus is doing in the parables. 
So, so as we look at this passage, um, we're going to look at, so then how, how do we get into this kingdom? How, how do we enter into the beauty that Jesus offers, the life that he offers? Um, we're going to look at it under three headings. We're going to look at the seed. That's sort of the main, um, the main character, if you will, in the, pa- in the parable. Then we're going to look at where do we receive it, and then how do we grow? What is this seed that Jesus speaks of? Where do we receive it, and how do we grow? Um, so what is this seed? Uh, as I said, the, the emphasis, actually, of the parable is on the seed, not on the sower. Um, you notice if you kind of make the, make the parable a movie, the, the shot is mostly about where the seed is going and looking at the ground, not necessarily on the parable, on, on the sower. And if you really want to kind of drive yourself crazy, go read a couple parable uh, commentaries about this. There's all kinds of theories about, well, did the sower plow the ground first, or what was the sower doing, and all this. Um, so don't, actually, don't go read all of that. Uh, clearly what Jesus wants us to do is look at the seed um, and, and consider it. The seed is the emphasis. Uh, and what is the seed? Well, Jesus actually um, helps us in verse 19. Uh, it's a really, verse 19 is really helpful to understand the parable. He says, Whenever, when anyone, this is his first line of explaining what the parable means. Um, he says, when anyone hears the message about the kingdom and does not understand it. Uh, so, so what is Jesus doing? He's telling us the seed is the message about the kingdom. That's, that's what's going out. Um, and what is that message? The message is Jesus is king. Um, he's a king who claims to have all authority on heaven and on earth. Um, and it's a message then that invites us into the very reign of God. And wherever that reign is, new life, new life is brought about. Uh, and so as we've kind of said throughout this, this, uh, this sermon series, that's not just sort of a neutral announcement. That means you turn from whatever king or God you're following and you turn to this king and you give your allegiance to this king and his kingdom. Uh, and it's a kingdom that Jesus describes in Luke. He describes it in this way, uh, quoting, quoting Isaiah. He says, um, here's what I'm coming to do. Here's my message. Proclaim the good news to the poor. Proclaim freedom for the prisoners, recovery of sight for the blind, to set the oppressed free to proclaim the year of the Lord's favor. That's, that's, the, that's what the, the message of the kingdom is. Jesus is coming to do that. Um, and as we saw last week, that message produces all sorts of different responses, confusion and violence. Um, some people are in awe uh, to the, both the content of the message, right? I am a king. Um, but also, in this particular parable, it's not just the content, um, but it's also the method that he uses that kind of draws some confusion. Uh, what is Jesus' method, primarily? How does Jesus bring about his kingdom? Um, it, it, the me- it, by the message, by his word, he, by what he speaks. Uh, and so just think about that for a moment. That's kind of an odd way to bring about a kingdom. Um, historically, kingdoms do not come about by people walking around and saying the kingdom is here. Perhaps you've, you've, you've noticed that that does not work in your household. Um, as parents, it doesn't work in your job if you're over other people. You cannot just simply say, the boss is here, and things work out. It, it doesn't work out that way. Um, that is not how revolutions are brought about. It's not how kingdoms are, are, um, are set aside. It's not how new forms of life break through by just declaring. And yet, in, that, that, that's, what, that's the method that Jesus brings. 
Um, just to drive home the point, if you're not convinced, um, this is uh, Jared Diamond comments on the way that uh, life changed um, over the course of human history. And uh, I'm going to quote Jared Diamond from Guns, Germs, and Steel. It's a good opportunity just to remind you uh, as preachers that if we quote somebody, it doesn't mean a ringing endorsement on their entire life's work. Um, so just, just every now and then an occasional reminder. Uh, I'm now not going to vouch for everything Jared Diamond has ever said. But he has something interesting to say here. All right? um, this is what he says. He says, 12,000 years ago, everybody on earth was a hunter-gatherer. Now, most of a, now almost all of us are farmers or else are fed by farmers. The spread of farming from those few sites of origin usually did not occur as a result of hunter-gatherers elsewhere adopting farming. Hunter-gatherers tend to be conservative. I didn't know this. It's all new to me. Um, instead, uh, it's not how I imagine hunter-gatherers. Um, instead, farming spread mainly through farmers outbreeding hunters, developing more potent technology, and then killing the hunters or driving them off of all land suitable for agriculture. Um, so I, I share that with you just to remind you, this is generally speaking, some form of this is the way that we bring about change in human history. Um, and this is not the program that Jesus comes to bring. Uh, the message of the kingdom does not employ any methods that are common to how we exercise human power. Uh, the kingdom does not come as any sort of physical dominance, much to the dismay of many people who hope that he would. Um, he, he does not come by exercising might, but by spoken word. And if you think about it, even the miracles that he performs are, are exercised through his spoken word. Um, and, and so what, what is this, all, this, all this about? What the, what the parable is, is moving us toward is then, if that's true, then the primary way that you, um, the primary door through which you enter into the kingdom is through listening. It's through hearing, receiving. Jesus says in the text, he who has ears, let him hear. Um, and so, therefore, um, the, the metaphor of a seed is actually really instructive to us, right? Because um, the kingdom can be rejected. If that's true, then the kingdom can be, like a seed, simply rejected and batted away. Uh, it's a small and vulnerable thing, and it only flourishes under certain cir circumstances. Uh, and so, you, you have to kind of get, the, that's sort of the, t the central anxiety of, of, of Matthew and the Gospels, is everybody sort of looking at Jesus' methods, and John the Baptist among them is saying, what exactly are you doing? <laughs> uh, you know, he's like, what, this, is this really the way that this is going to work? Because the Romans aren't just going to, like, lay down their arms and walk away, you know? Um, and yet Jesus says, no, I, I come with a seed. I come with a spoken message. Um, and, and, and also, so that's, that's also the, the power of the seed, is that when it seems to be defeated, it seems to have disappeared. Actually, no, that's the beginning of something. That's, that's where new life starts, right? Um, so the seed, much like, I have no idea how many of you are actually listening to me right now, right? Um, much like a seed is sort of scattered and you have no idea how, what's going to come of it, speaking a message and, and you hearing is the same thing. We actually have no idea how well this is going. You know what I mean? Uh, much like a farmer has, in some sense, Scattering the seed, right? And so Jesus is saying, yes, this is the way that I minister. I, I am going to scatter the seed. And in many ways, 
you know, we'll, we'll see what comes of it. Now, I don't mean to suggest that he's being random or careless, but that this is the method in which he brings about the kingdom. Um, the power of the kingdom, fruitfulness comes about for those who listen. And that listening will bring a renewal in all of life, all who hear it. And, and uh, so just, just to close this first opening point, I hope what you should be receiving is actually really good news. Um, because, because in the worship that we just had, in the scripture we, we, we read, in, in the singing and in the prayer that we did together, um, it, what you come in with this week, the deeds that you have done, the evil that you have wrought in the world, the, the anxiety and suffering that you've had this week, um, none of it precludes you from hearing and receiving the message this morning. It's, it's freely offered. It's freely given. It's really good news. Um, how well your family life this week may have been a mess. You may be... Um, You may be struggling with your mental health this week. Uh, you may kind of have a sense that you're, you're addicted to something and you can't get out of it. And, and the good news of Jesus' kingdom is that it's freely offered. It's just declared to you and you can hear and receive it. Uh, that's really good news. Now, um, now, so the second point then is where do we receive it? So, so uh, what does it mean to actually listen, right? You might be asking. Uh, the Bible teaches us that listening means more than just registering sound waves on the ear. Uh, it's more than actually even just kind of comprehending, like you can understand the words that I'm saying. Um, you can make sense of them. Language is a piece of it. Um, it's more than just words entering your mind. Um, listening is something more than that. Uh, and again, we can go back to verse 19 to help us. Uh, here, the, this is the, the message of the kingdom um, is something that you receive with, with your whole person, with kind of the center of who you are. Listen to what he says. When anyone hears the message, verse 19, about the kingdom of heaven and does not understand it, this is the first type of soil, um, the evil one comes and snatches away, now listen, what was sown in their heart. So, so in other words, what Jesus is suggesting to us is that when you, you're listening, involves your heart involves the center of who you are. Uh, and, and you know this because you just went through the pandemic in which you experienced communication over Zoom. Um, and listening over Zoom is horrible, precisely because it isolates the act of listening to just a sound. Right? And perhaps a little black box or maybe a tiny little face, right? But that's it. And why is that so horrible? Well, there's lots of reasons. But just one of them is that you, you, because you listen with more than just your ears. Um, you, you listen with, with your body. You listen while you look at somebody else's gestures um, based on their facial expressions. You listen with more than just sound. Uh, and, and what the Bible teaches about a person is, is that to listen deeply involves the heart. The heart is engaged. And again... You know this intuitively. You know what it is to, um, to have somebody speaking to you and yet be absent inside, right? To, to be somewhere else internally, both in your heart and mind. That's why, partly why listening is so difficult. If you've ever done any of these active listening exercises, like I, I'd kind of rather 
like have some sort of like, phys uh, I don't want to say physical torture because I don't want that. But like active listening is really hard. You know, it is. There's like something torturous about it because it requires more than just your ears. It, you, you actually have to sort of empty something out of yourself and make something else available to the person. I mean, try it. When you go out in the lobby and there's lunch, try to really just be present with somebody and just listen to them and not think about anything else that you're thinking about. Just be, you, I mean, you're going to fail. I, I hate to tell you this. You're gonna, it's really hard. It's really hard to do. Maybe you won't fail. I have hope for you. You'll do fine. Um, it's hard. It's hard. So what the parable teaches is that um, when the message of the kingdom comes, um, so, so hearing is a, is a matter of the heart, and that's, why, that's where the four soils come in, right? And that's why this is so difficult, um, because we need to hear the message with our hearts. That's, that's, the, that's the area of listening. Um, and th three of the soils uh, ultimately reject the seed and its growth, and only one understands it. Um, and, and produces a crop. So, so we run into a problem here, don't we? Because when the heart is involved, um, when the heart is engaged, then, then we have a problem because our hearts left to themselves are, the scriptures tell us, are deceitful above all things. So that makes listening to the message really difficult. And, and for the sake of kind of just knowing what I know about this particular congregation and this particular part of the world, we're not going to look at all three soils. Um, we're just going to look at the third. We're going to kind of contextualize our theology here a little bit. That my, my hunches and my, the data I collected uh, anecdotally is that the third kind of soil is where most of us are, are sort of swimming in. Or maybe that's the wrong mixing metaphors. We're mostly, that's where we're, 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 we've landed. Thank you. Yes. Uh, here is, listen to the third soil. Verse 22, the seed falling among the thorns refer, refers, this is Jesus' explanation, the seed falling among the thorns refers to someone who hears the word, but the worries of this life and the deceitfulness of wealth choke the word, making it unfruitful. Um, now this word worries here, it could also be translated anxieties. Um, and what it means is it has to do with something being separated, separated from the whole. Um, it's, it's somebody who is divided and fractured in themselves. So somebody, it refers, uh, the, the fracturing of the person of this life and the deceitfulness of wealth. And of course, the deceitfulness of wealth, wealth being the abundance of possessions, um, the things that we have, the money that we have, the riches that we chase after. These are the two things that, that choke out this, this, this message that we want to listen to in our hearts. So, so what anxiety does, let's take anxiety first. Um, what it does to our hearts, what it does to my heart, uh, is, is it divides and fractures it. Um, because what anxiety does is it moves from one thing to the next. Never, and maybe resting somewhere for a little while, and then jumping to the next. Never resolving, never staying, never coming to a, to a hole, to a rest. We're never able to settle. And as Jesus puts it here, whatever good I have then is choked out and starved of light by the thorns. But, but I think Jesus is doing something intentional here, anxiety next to wealth. So how do we often deal with our anxiety? 
Um, anxiety bends us toward the deceitfulness of wealth. Uh, the deceit of wealth is the promise of power over our anxieties, isn't it? What wealth will do, generally speaking, um, and by the way, this is a all play, so whether you have a little bit of money or a lot of money, um, all of us can be deceived by wealth. Amen? So this is not about how much money you have or don't have. This is about how you think about possessions and wealth in your life. Um, the deceitfulness of wealth is that promises us power over anxieties. Abundance of possessions and riches um, may not actually bring together all that I'm anxious about, right? It might not solve my anxiety about my kids. It might not solve my anxiety about what people think of me. But what it might do is help me maybe for a little while rise above them and be free from them for just a little bit or, or feel like I'm free from them. And, and just stay with me here. Isn't it true that actually the reverse is, so if anxiety leads me to wealth, the reverse is also true, isn't it? That um, as I treasure wealth and I'm consumed by many things and many possessions, my heart becomes increasingly anxious. Uh, because as I place my hope in one thing after another, um, actually, some of this is literally true. You are literally moving from one possession to the next. Right? You, you are, your life is actually fractured by all the things that you now have to manage. Some of you, if you're a homeowner, you know intimately what I mean. I mean, that's what it is, right? It's, I'm not suggesting that home, owning a home is deceitful, but, but you know that experience of I just move from one thing to the next and never am able to settle. Um, anxiety gives way to the deceit of wealth. Deceit of wealth leads me to greater anxiety, and like thorns, they together choke the message of the kingdom in me. Uh, this is, uh, so uh, just to drive, drive this home for you a little bit, um, Andy Crouch wrote a book called The Life uh, We're Looking For, and he, he talks about, um, particularly about our anxious selves, and he's going to use the word superpower in this quote. Um, he's not literally talking about, like, I can fly. Um, he's talking about, that's his way of talking about how we think about abundance and technology and possessions, right? So generally speaking, he's, he's talking about them as like, we want superpowers. Um, so listen to, listen to what he says. Uh, the honest truth is that we just give in. So speaking about how do we deal with our anxieties? We just give in. We make choices that accelerate the patterns of emptiness and loneliness rather than reverse them. And thanks to a particularly tricky design feature of the human, I'm sorry, of the heart, soul, mind, strength complex, that's, that's the, of who we are, it can initially seem that these small constellations and addictions offer us just enough of what we long for to get by. Human beings have made these, is this the right quote? Yeah, okay, thanks. Uh, human beings have made these kinds of choices ever since the pain of being persons was first felt. But today, we happen to have access to a way out of disappointment that offers more false comfort than our ancestors could ever have imagined. Let's call it the superpower zone. And I think this is the, the part you now have in your outline. Here's the problem. You cannot take advantage of a superpower and fully remain a person. In the sense of a heart, soul, mind, strength complex designed for love, this is not an unfortunate side effect of superpowers or a flaw that could be overcome with future improvements. It is the essence of their design because superpowers are power without effort. And power without effort, it turns out, diminishes us as much as it delights us. So uh, it's, it's sort of stunning that the, the people in Jesus' day are, are wrestling with the very same things that we are and what Jesus is speaking to. 
we grow so accustomed to these thorns in our life, to these from moving from anxiety to wealth and back again, um, that they actually diminish and choke the message of the kingdom. Uh, we become numb, in a sense, to this. This is um, the experience of the people of Israel in the time um, Isaiah quotes in the passage that, that Liz read. Uh, it's not in your outline, um, but if you have it in front of you, uh, Jesus is hearkening back to the very same um, situation uh, of the people of Israel in, in the time of the prophet Isaiah. And this is what he says about them in verse 15. He says, For this people's heart have become calloused. They hardly hear with their ears, and they have closed their eyes. So, so what, what am I driving at? I think that part of what this parable wants to expose in us is not only are we caught up with anxieties that move us to the deceitfulness of wealth and back again, but, but for many of us, we're so steeped in it that we've, we've kind of grown numb to it. Um, we've grown callous to it. Uh, I have a friend whose grandfather was a blacksmith, and he loves to tell the story about how his blacksmith could just... His grandfather could just sort of pick up the kettle after it had been burnt, uh, uh, you know, hot on the stove and just pick it up and, like, pour and put it back down again, right? And, and because he said his grandfather had, like, these, like, hands that looked like they had gloves on, you know, with just, just so calloused and so just easily picking up anything that's hot. Didn't matter, right, from just years and years of, of work as a blacksmith. Um, and that's really helpful if you're a blacksmith. But, but if your heart becomes calloused, if, if your heart can't actually feel... Um, the, the deceitfulness of wealth and the way that anxieties of this world are pulling you apart, um, th then, then you're in a situation where you, you, um, you're this third soil. You're, um, you, you have a pattern of life in which you're constantly handling things that are dangerous for your soul, and you don't, you don't even quite realize it. You don't have a sense of how destructive they can be. And so for many of us, um, the, the, the parable bring, brings some illumination to, to maybe places where we, you've been using your wealth as a bomb for your anxiety. Um, for many of you, uh, your devotion to your work has become um, a way to escape uh, receiving the message uh, for some of you, uh, you're, you're experiencing the anxiety of a schedule that drives you to constant busyness um, so that you never have to take a moment and see yourself and see what's going on in your life and in your family. Uh, for some of you, and I'm speaking as one who knows all of these, um, your evening routine has become finding little possessions that you have, little abundances that you have in your house to dull the anxiety about the next day's work and just to get you through the evening until the next day. Um, and for some of you, it may look like, I've been a Christian for 30 years and I've been doing year one 30 times. I, I know of no growth in my life. And, and this is the third soil, brothers and sisters. You're, if you're in the third soil, you're, you're here. You believe there, there's a root, but there's something that is choking and strangling out the growth that the God wants to bring into your heart. So, so that's, that's where we want to listen, is in the heart. And, that, and that's why it's so difficult. 
So let me just, let, let's end with, with, with an invitation. So how then, how then do I get out of this? How do I listen deeply? Um, notice in, in verse 23, what does Jesus say about the good soil? He says that um, it, uh, it understands. The good soil understands. Uh, the seed falling on good soil refers to someone who hears the word and understands it. Uh, so so what, is, what is the understanding that Jesus is speaking of here as we close? Um, well, I just want to suggest to you two things. The first thing to understand is that it is good and right to despair over your sin. And I do not mean despair without hope, but to look at the sinfulness of your own heart, the callousness of your own heart, and recognize the depth of that. Um, it's a right response to, the, to, the, to Jesus' parable. Allow the words of Jesus to give you a moment of honesty about yourself and who you are. Um, that honesty allows you to understand the good message, the message of the kingdom, the message of the one who wants to save you. But secondly, secondly, brothers and sisters, the second thing to understand is the union that the seed brings. Union. Uh, the message of the, of, of the kingdom comes as a seed to the heart. So from the outside in, right? Um, and then change works in us from the inside out and breaks the calluses of our heart. Um, it clears the thorns that, that choke life out of our, out of our hearts. But, but here's, here's how actually you listen deeply. Here's how you grow, because you can't do it yourself. The good news is that, that if you receive this, Jesus even now will begin to break the calluses of your heart and begin to clear the thorns that, that choke out life from you. Um, but, but here's what you do. Here's, here's where God has said, I want, to, I want to involve you in this. What you do is, is you fix your attention on what you've received. You fix your attention on the seed. You can't Throw the seed, you can't plant it, you can't make it grow, but you can fix yourself, your attention on the seed that's been given. You fix your attention on the one who, who gives life. Uh, Christ won't force himself down your throat, and you can't crowbar your way into change. But the good soil understands that union with Christ, treasuring him as he has treasured you, will bring forth life. Uh, you don't need to add anything in. But by the Spirit, you have all that you need. You have, by the Spirit, you have all that you need to bring new life into your heart. So fixing your attention on him. Um, Dorothy Day was a, a founder of the Catholic Worker Movement in 1933. Um, at the end of her life, she was interviewed for a, a biography. Um, and she said this as she came to, uh, as she was interviewed. Um, which I thought was a beautiful picture of what it means to treasure, treasure the one that we receive. She said, I, I try to think back. I try to remember this life that the Lord gave me. The other day I wrote down the words, a life remembered, and I was going to try and make a summary for myself, but I couldn't do it. I just sat there and thought of our Lord and his visit to us all those centuries ago. And I said to myself that my great luck was to have had him was to have had him on my mind for so long in my life. 
That's, that's the treasuring. That's all that's required of you this morning. Is just bring him to mind. And, and what you do then is you sort of like putting your hands down in the soil. You, you invite places where water can run to bring, to bring new life. Um, as you pray this week, you, you are just opening up parts of soil in your heart to allow fresh water to come in. Uh, as you share the meal outside and you talk with brothers and sisters, you're, you're inviting in new life. You're, you're parting some of the soil apart to allow fresh water to come in and bring new life. And by God's grace, then, we, um, we become a, a, a missional presence in a place like Montgomery County in Philadelphia. Um, we become a people of hope not full of anxiety, um, not people lost in the deceit of wealth, but we become a community that that gathers and then scatters through your week to become non-anxious, not overcome by wealth and abundance into the systems and schools and offices and buildings that you all work in and are represented here. Because the the next 10 years, by God's grace, I think the missional presence of the church in a place like this is going to be the the non-anxious, hopeful witness of God's people in a world full of anxiety and and mental health struggles and despair and suffering, the the gospel witness that you have to bring into your workplace this week that hopefully will lead to real conversations about Jesus is you are a non-anxious, hopeful person who hopes not in an abundance of possessions, but in the message you've received. So, so as, we, as we close, and, and my invitation to you this morning um, is during the last two songs, and, and the worship team can come forward, um, is, is I want to invite you, if you're somebody here who's, who knows those thorns in your life, if, if, you're, if as, a, as you're hearing the word preached, if you had a conviction of, I know I'm stuck, and what I want, what I need is to have Christ on my mind this week so that new life can come in. Um, the invitation is, that, is to come forward, and we'll have a couple people up here to pray. And, and the invitation, if you do choose to come forward, is to not share. You coming forward is saying, would you just pray that I might have Christ on my mind this week, that, that Christ would help clear the thorns and break the calluses in my heart. So, so come forward. If that's you, we want to pray for you. you we want to pray for you expectant that God will work in this moment. Not later this week. Not when you have your devotions on Tuesday. But God, the Spirit wants to work in our community in the present this morning. And so the invitation is to come. And, and, and one way you can do that is just to come and be prayed for um, during the last two songs. Um, so let me pray and then, and then we'll, um, we'll sing together. Um, Lord, your invitation is to, to those of us who are tired, who are worn out, who are burned out on religion. You say, come to us. You say, get away with us, and you'll recover our life. You say, you'll, t- you'll show us how to take a real rest. You tell us to walk with you and work with you and watch how you do things. You say, you'll teach us the unforced rhythms of grace. You tell us that you won't lay anything too heavy or burdensome on us. You say that you'll keep company with us and you'll teach us to live freely and lightly. 
So we pray, Lord, would you do this now in our midst? Help us, Lord Jesus, we pray in the name of Jesus. Amen. Amen.